Well, it was another win for Red Bull, but this time it was Sergio Perez taking the checkered flag, starting from pole position and winning the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. He took advantage of his teammates starting near the back of the grid, and he wins for the fifth time in his career. It's arguably one of the best wins of his career. He has won at Monaco, Baku, Singapore, now Jeddah, Wizard of the Street Circuits. His first victory came at Bahrain, the secure circuit, the shorter version of that track. But we've got your complete review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix coming up on this episode of the Overtake Podcast. We'll go over the race. We'll give our report card for all 10 teams on the grid. Also be taking a look at the bigger picture of this season so far after just two races. If you like what we've been doing, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. It certainly helps us grow. And if you are brand new, Give us a chance. We hope to be part of your Formula One podcast listening as we continue along through the 2023 season. It's our third season of the Overtake F1 podcast and glad you could be part of it. I'm Tony Desiri. As we get started with this review, I'm going to tell you right now, I think this is going to be one of the shorter podcasts because there's really not a ton to dissect as far as the race. And there's a couple of things that went down in the Grand Prix that we are going to get to. Fernando Alonso's penalty, not penalty, third place finish, not not third place finish, back to a third place finish, all of that confusion. We're going to talk about the Red Bull teammates, Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen, and what went down on the final few laps of that Grand Prix. But other than that, this is a relatively uneventful race. And so let me just say right off the bat that I'm kind of pleased with the fact that the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix had two things that were missing, uh, the, the two things that kind of crept into the last two runnings at Jeddah. First, no one tore their car to shreds. Right? There was no giant slam into the wall with debris flying all over the place, no red flag stoppages, no one seriously hurt. It was it's on the fastest street circuit in Formula One history, but everybody else, everybody's raced pretty cleanly on Sunday. And also, and I think this is more importantly, no off-the-track incidents, no missile threats, no nothing to threaten the race, no big discussions into the night of whether or not the teams were going to be safe racing at Jetta. It was really unadvised eventful from the weekend standpoint again no big accidents not a boring race per se but it was pretty smooth and pretty clean as far as Grand Prix go. Now, look, we don't have a large sample running at Jetta, so it's not like we have 25 years to dissect here. It's only three, but we'll see if this becomes kind of the norm before they move on to another one of the circuits uh, in Saudi Arabia and they no longer race at Jetta. But the story of this Grand Prix, you've got to begin on Saturday. It was a gearbox problem for Max Verstappen, and he lost out his chance at pole position. So Q2, he was out. He was going to start 15th on the grid. Now, everyone thought it's just going to be a matter of time before he makes his way through the field. He'll be up at front, probably winning the Grand Prix. We we saw him dice the field to pieces at Spa last season. He does this all the time. He's in a super fast car. You give him 50 laps, he's going to pass everybody. So that was kind of the feeling going into Sunday was, was this going to happen again? Was he, it doesn't matter if he starts 19th or 15th or 12th or 17th. doesn't matter. He's got over 50 laps. He's going to take over everybody. And then he's going to get to the front of the field. And that's exactly what he did. 
But what he didn't count on was that Sergio Perez would really have an unbelievably dominating race and match the pace of Max Verstappen. And so we'll get to that coming up later in this Grand Prix. But that was really the story going into Sunday. And it wasn't like, wow, what's happening to Max Verstappen? Is he going to be able to win this? Oh, my goodness, 15th. How Nobody's buying that anymore. Those days are over. He's going to get through the field. Everybody knows that. It was just a matter of when. And how much time was he going to be behind whoever was leading the race? Presumably before the Grand Prix, you would expect, given that it was a Red Bull car, that it would be Sergio Perez. But maybe it was Fernando Alonso. Maybe it was the Ferrari. Who knows? But I think for most of us, we guess that Max is going to make his way through the field and he's going to try to track down his teammate. Because those, that, those two have the fastest car by a mile of anybody on the grid. Max had established very early in the practice sessions that he had the car to beat, right? I mean, he had, by the end of FP3, he was clear of Perez, who was in second place in practice, by six-tenths of a second. So that was very, it added a little flavor to the Grand Prix weekend that Max was going to start 15th. Because if he was going to start from pole position, this thing would have been super boring. He might have won this thing and left the track gun on the plane heading back home before anybody crossed the line. I mean, that's how that's how much he could have dominated the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix if he started from pole position. You want to talk about nobody catching the Red Bulls, no one would have caught him if he had a clear track in front of him and nothing but again, straight track ahead. He would have won this thing by a mile. So it did add a little bit of drama. It did add for an additional storyline that Verstappen was starting on the back back uh, part of the grid in P15. Now, on Saturday, Charles Leclerc finished second in the Ferrari. Now, this was a big deal because Leclerc was going to be taking a 10-place grid penalty. I mean, we're already in the second race of the season, and he's already got power unit failure. He's got a 10-place grid penalty for repairing it. It's already been a mess for Charles Leclerc, but that was a little bit of good news because even though he was going to be starting 12th, at least he wasn't going to be starting, you know, 17th or anything like that. So he got as best as best he could possibly get given the circumstances in Q3. Now, Fernando Alonso, he moved up to second place on the grid because of the penalty. So it was Sergio Perez and Fernando Alonso at the start of this race. And given how Aston Martin looked in Bahrain, this had a potential to be kind of dicey in the front. This had a chance to be kind of fun, right? With two drivers, both excellent and behind the wheels of their cars. And we're going to be able to see really an Aston Martin go up against a Red Bull at the start of the race. It didn't include the name Max Verstappen in it. I was looking forward to that. I know many of you were probably looking forward to that too. But in the end, it was, you know, he, Lonzo got the lead, but he started just a shift a little bit to the left on the starting grid. So he got a penalty. They told him early on, Hey, listen, you didn't start right off the grid. You were not directly in the box. You're going to have to come in. When you come in, you're going to have a five second penalty. He said, all right, Sergio Perez gets the lead back and he's off to the races. Meanwhile, what we thought was going to happen with Max Verstappen was happening. He was making his way through the field and he got up to the point where he was able to get into second place. And he tried to track down Sergio Perez and there wasn't enough laps to do so. So at the end of the race, this is where it got sticky, where Verstappen asked the team about the fastest lap because he knew 
look, if Sergio Perez is going to win this Grand Prix, if he gets the fastest lap, he's going to leave here a point ahead in the world championship. Well, that world championship is mine. So I want to make sure I am getting the fastest lap. So there was a cool exchange where he asks about the fastest lap and the team says, we're not concerned about it. And he goes, yeah, but I am, which basically signals, and you should be too. So that's basically how that conversation went down. But in the end, he pushed on that final lap and was able to get the fastest lap. So Perez gets the win. Verstappen goes one, two again, this time in reverse order. And Verstappen now heads to Melbourne with a one point lead in the world championship. Now we're going to get to the team grades and that's going to tell more of a complete picture of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. But to me, there were two takeaways from this, right? Now there could have been a little more if you want to do some side side quests, if you will. But the two big takeaways for me were this one Is Sergio Perez a real threat to Max Verstappen as he marches towards a third world championship? On the one hand, you could say yes, right? If if Sergio Perez has mastered the car that is built for Verstappen, then you can make the case that he is. But I am going to hold off on that for a while because let's play out the circumstance before everybody starts going nuts about a real driver battle for the championship within one team, a Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg kind of thing. We're going to have to see more of Sergio Perez in that car. And we're going to have to see Sergio Perez really match Verstappen when Verstappen is actually racing at the front. I know we can look at the data and the data is showing that Perez is matching the lap times right? The best lap times. I mean, Verstappen couldn't gain on Perez. He couldn't do that thing where he just eats huge chunks of time on every single lap. Perez at some of the laps was exceeding the lap times of Verstappen. I know Verstappen was complaining of a high pitched sort of sound. And he said there was a little bit of a vibration. All right, whatever. But nevertheless, I still need a lot of data here. And I think a lot of us kind of want to hold off on this because there's one side of sports analytics where you want, you have this sort of wishful thinking, right? You, you look ahead and you see what is projected, which is Verstappen is going to win every single race in which he starts at the front. He's going to dominate these practice sessions. The only thing that's going to stop Red Bull is Red Bull itself. Verstappen is going to dominate this year and win a third world championship. So what we try to do as sports fans is we want to create an alternate storyline where there is something that allows us to have a flavor of competition. And I think that is what's going on here in its infancy. Now, don't hold me to this because if we get to round four, five, six, seven, and I'm looking at the world championship standings and it's only separated by a point, two points, three points with these guys trading victories. And we start sensing that Sergio Perez can take it to max when they're both at the front. Then we'll have another, we'll have another conversation about this, but I'm, I'm not as optimistic at, at people who are leaning in that direction based on the data from Jeddah. I'm just not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait and see a number of races in the books. Now, should I be 
excited about that opportunity that we may have in the 2020. Yes. Anytime I can get a competitive season, that's good for all of us. Rather than going into every Grand Prix, trying to find the cute storylines of who might get a point and who might be battling for seventh in the driver's standings or which midfield team is actually going to win P6 in the constructors race, we might actually have a legitimate battle for the championship. But my goodness, with 21 more races to go, we're already pegging Perez and Verstappen a mano a mano battle throughout all of the spring, summer, and early part of the fall. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. I'm not saying it can't happen. Sergio Perez is a hell of a driver, but Verstappen is a generational talent. The second big takeaway from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is how in the world is the FIA going to start managing these post-race penalties and holding off or at least changing the results based on information that keeps pouring in at the end of the race. Now, listen, I understand that racing and regular sports are two totally different things. And here's what I mean by that. When it comes to regular sports, right? Let's say we're going to take an NFL game, all right? If you're playing an NFL game and the end result is the Denver Broncos beat the Cincinnati Bengals 27 to 21, but on the last play of the game, the Broncos score a touchdown and at the end of the play, there was a holding penalty that wasn't called, okay? The NFL doesn't review the game and say, you know, here we are two hours later and we noticed that there was a holding penalty at the end of the, at the end of the game. And that should have been called. And if that had called and the game can't end on a penalty, then we should have given the Broncos another chance or whatnot. This, this game is invalid. We don't do that, right? We don't do that. If a baseball game ends with an umpire signaling that the runner is safe at the plate, two hours later, they don't say, well, he was actually out. That was the third out so that, you know, the game should should have been, should stay tied. We don't do that. When the game is what is called in the books, the game is in the book. And, 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 And all the flaws and everything are trapped within that game's legacy, right? Racing tries to do things different because there's post-race inspections. And so we see it a lot in NASCAR. We see it in IndyCar. We certainly see it in Formula One. There are post-race inspections, things that the FIA have to do to review. There's new information that comes up, right? The only other sport that I think can compare to this is golf, right? Golf, when a golfer signs a scorecard, if it's incorrect, right? If it's incorrect for a higher score, he takes a higher score. If it's incorrect for a lower score, he's disqualified. So that means you can call in a ruling like you, you, somebody could say, hey, listen, uh, this guy committed a penalty and he signed for the incorrect scorecard. He'd be disqualified. Everybody moves up. So at the end of this Grand Prix, Fernando Alonso gets told early that he needs to come in for a five-second penalty. So he comes into the pits to serve, you know, to change the tires, but he's serving the five-second penalty before they do any work on the car. Now. There was a belief that the jack was touching the car during the five-second penalty. So Alonzo gets released after he serves the penalty, gets back on the track. And if the jack had touched the car, then he has to come in to serve a 10-second penalty. They violated the rule of the initial penalty, 
which is nothing can be touching the car during the ten, the five seconds still time. So at the end of the Grand Prix, and you might have heard this conversation with Mercedes, where Russell thought that Fernando Alonso still had a penalty to serve. Mercedes said he already served it, but there might have been some confusion because it apparently was at least acknowledged by somebody in the Mercedes camp that there might be an additional penalty coming. So they wanted to make sure that George Russell was pushing to get within the five-second gap. He wasn't able to get within the five-second gap, but the penalty was going to be 10 seconds, but they were trying to get him within five, thinking it might be an additional five, get within that, you could get P3. Fernando Alonso crosses the line. He's in third. Everybody goes crazy. It's a 100th career podium for Alonso. People are loving it. This is incredible. It comes like nearly 20 years to the day, right? All of, all of the big celebratory. Fernando Alonso is awesome. Aston Martin really is, is surprisingly good. All of those things. And then we find out later that, nope, the FIA is going to give a 10-second penalty to Fernando Alonso for the jack touching the car. So George Russell is then awarded P3 long after the celebration has been done and after all the teams are starting to pack up. So everyone's reporting that now the order is Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen, and George Russell. So everybody adjusts the points. Whoops. Not long after that, there's an appeal by Aston Martin and they win the appeal. And the appeal is said, oh, you know what? There's not enough evidence to show that there was a Jack that touched. So you know what, Fernando Alonso, you are P3. Well, it's a little confusing for the fan. It reminded me last year of Japan. Remember Japan, what a mess that was where Red Bull didn't know and the drivers didn't know what constituted points and they were getting like half points, but then they said, no, you actually get full points. So Verstappen crossed the line, not officially the world champion yet. He was going to get it when they went to Austin for the U.S. Grand Prix. But then later they went, no, nope, wrong, actually. Uh, we are going to give him full point. So he was awarded. It wasn't even a much of a celebration. There wasn't that moment where the team could really enjoy being named champion. It sort of came in this confusing chaos. It kind of reminded me of that, where Fernando Alonso believes he's third, then he's told he's not third, then he's told he's third again, all within a, a, a good chunk of time. Is there a solution to this? Okay, well... On the one hand, yes. And I think Fernando Alonso is right when he says it's, you know, it takes like 35, it's taken 35 laps to figure out whether or not you should be penalized. Like he's riding around in the Grand Prix and no one can tell him if he's going to be, if he's being served a 10 second penalty or not. Now, as many of you know, and this has been, this was pointed out in the broadcast, the FIA or the post ratio, I should say, if you watch the post ratio, they, they brought this up. The FIA, they go through every single issue in order as they come in. Now, should it have taken them as long to get the 10-second penalty ruling on Fernando Alonso? Maybe. It depends on what was behind them, right? All these other incidences going on the track, they're sorting all of that out. However, do we want the sport of Formula One, racing in general, if you want to look at the larger picture, to be like other sports that we have where once the clock hits zero, the game is over 
and all of the flaws within the game in terms of its officiating are part of the storyline of the game. Do we want it to be like football? Do we want it to be like baseball? Do we want it to be like basketball where there's no do-overs? We don't award wins after the fact. We go, nope, sorry. It wasn't called when it was supposed to be called. It's a missed call. It's part of the game. Racing can be different because what if a car fails post-race inspection? Don't we want a sense of justice on the cheaters who tried to get away with something? Look at NASCAR. NASCAR just said, uh, sent Hendrick Motorsports a, one of the largest fines in the history of its sport. Why? Because after the race at Phoenix, they determined that there was a modification to the airflow system of the Hendrick cars that is, and on the car that William Byron won the race in. It warranted $100,000 fines to the crew chiefs, suspension of four races to the crew chiefs, the drivers penalized 100 points, and they'll be penalized 10 points when the playoffs start. Why? Because that's what the job of the sport is, is to make sure no one is bending the rules. Now, this isn't that, but it fits under its sort of umbrella. Afterwards, you want the FIA to look at the, at the data and say, we gave you a five-second penalty. The five-second penalty means you don't touch the car within those five seconds. If we feel you've broken that, if we have video evidence to suggest you did, you get a 10-second penalty on top of that. What I think the argument is, they wish, people wish, that was found out sooner, given the level of importance it was to the race. Right? Get more people and more eyeballs on this so that Fernando Alonso knows when he crosses the line or at some point in the Grand Prix, he's getting a 10-second penalty. They do it as fast as they can, but sometimes it takes a little bit. And I always believe teams have the right to appeal. I said it after Abu Dhabi. I've been saying it. I think most of us feel that way. Teams have the right to appeal. And when you appeal something, that's going to take a lot longer. So this was, congratulations, Fernando Alonso. Whoops, we made a mistake. They appealed. Oops, we made a mistake. Again. So I don't think there is anything that can be done about that. Yes, it ruins the sport, to be honest with you. When you are done with your Grand Prix weekend and you think the order is X, Y, and Z, and it's X, Y, and W, eh. So those were my two takeaways from the rather uneventful Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I hope we have more races where there's a lot more to dissect. But like I said at the top of this podcast, it's a relatively clean race. Again, not a lot of crashes and blow up of cars and whatnot. There's some good racing in the midfield. We'll get to that coming up next when we do our report card. But overall, there's not a lot to dive into other than we might have a fun little battle between the two Red Bull teammates. And yeah, the ending of that, the mess that happened at the end of that regarding Alonzo's penalty, I wish could be cleaned up a little bit. All right, let's get to the report cards. This is the grades for all 10 teams on the grid. We're going to start with Red Bull. Obviously, they get an A. I would have given them an A+. I should give them an A+, based on a 1-2 finish. Sergio Perez got the pole position, got the win. Verstappen started 15th. He finished second, had the fastest lap. Everybody's marveling at their speed and domination. Lewis Hamilton, fastest car he's ever seen in his career in Formula 1. Now, the only reason they didn't get an A+, is because Verstappen did have a gearbox problem that forced him out of Q2. He was 
clearly not happy about this um, go, coming in second, right? Now, I don't expect him to, right? I didn't expect him to be sort of excited about finishing second, given that he had to start P15 because of a reliability issue. But at the same time, Sergio Perez really showed something in that car. He really was. He overcame a poor start. He got past Alonzo, built his lead, kept it that way in the race. The team's only going to beat themselves, as I said at the beginning. They're only going to beat themselves this season because no one else is going to beat them on the track. Um, Aston Martin, they get a B. Uh, that's how much Alonzo's podium means to the team. They, they, they get a B. They get a big, good grade, despite the fact that Lance Stroll's day was over after suffering a power issue. So they had a P3 and a DNF, and they get a good, solid B. They probably got a B plus. That's how good Alonzo's drive was. And it was really fantastic to take the lead, serve the penalty, still get into the podium. Um, Stroll showed that he had a powerful car too. Before the DNF, he showed that he had a powerful car, had a uh, nice overtake of Carlos Sainz. Um, again, Alonso penalized for the incorrect position at the start, slightly left of the starting box. Uh, he served that and he earned himself his 100th podium of his career. So that's a good solid B for the team, despite the fact that only one car crossed the finish line. Ferrari, uh, they get a C. That's an average, but it's not a good day. I mean, I, I, I should give them a D because it's really bad, but it's it's a C. Not a good day, but both cars did finish in the points, so there's no engine failures, there's no strategy problems. They just ran their race and finished in the points, but not high up in the points. Leclerc moved up five spots from a starting position of 12th, finishing P7. I thought he could have done better, but he said that's as good as it got given his starting position. Carlos Sainz finished P6. He also said it was a rough night for the car. Uh, they just did not, and they, forget Red Bull, they're, they're in a league of their own. They didn't have Fernando Alonso's pace. They didn't have the pace for the Mercedes in front of them. Um, it, they've got to do better when they get to Melbourne. They absolutely, that car has to be competitive has to be competitive in the upper midfield. They cannot be losing ground to two teams, uh, Mercedes and Aston Martin. Forget, again, forget Red Bull. Uh, Mercedes, uh, I gave them a B-. minus. Uh, both drivers finished in the points, but neither got on the podium. And even though there was confusion at the end with Alonzo's extra penalty that gave Russell the P3 finish, it was later changed back. So he ended up P4 and Hamilton ran fifth. Both drivers are now looking at Aston Martin right now that's ahead of them and Red Bull way, way, way ahead of them up the field. Hamilton went with the hard tires at the start, switched over to mediums, still couldn't get past Russell, who's just ahead of him on the hards. It was a good day, though. Um, I just felt like it's got to still be disappointing for the team to know where their car is, even though it's a P4 to P5. It's not a close P4 and a P5 to two cars and two teams ahead of them, right? I mean, again, Lance Stroll would have given them a run for their money if he didn't have the problems in DNF. I mean, if he didn't do that, he would have probably been right there in the mix as well. That's how good of a car Lance Stroll had. The team feels like, and this is a big, this was, you know, sort of big. I mean, teams say this a lot that they've got a very competitive car that's coming in the next couple of races. We will see. Again, this is a lot of this is what you teams like to say to throw optimism out there to the fan base and the sponsors, etc. But they do really feel like changes are coming to this car and they will be able to get it um, up and up and more competitive than it is. Um, Alpine, I gave him a B plus. I gave him a B plus. Both drivers finished in the top 10. Esteban Ocon finishing eighth. Pierre Gasly running ninth. That's about where you'd want your the Alpine team to finish. They probably could have bumped a, maybe a Ferrari if they were lucky. But the reality of it is, it was a good day for the team. It really was. 
Uh, especially for Ocon. You remember what a disaster Bahrain was for him? He had a terrible race there. But both drivers like the results of what the what they got on Sunday at the Grand Prix. So that's a it's a good B plus for Alpine. Alphatari, I gave him a C. Um, Yuki Sonoda finished 11th just outside the points. He was overtaken by Kevin Magnussen at the end. And rookie Nick DeVries, who had no experience, by the way, on the Jetta circuit. I mean, um, Oscar Piastri and Logan Sargent had, had some good experience at Jetta in F2. But Nick DeVries finished 14th. Sonoda just couldn't get a hold of uh, the Alpines during the race. He fell back and was passed by Magnuson. Um, one spot out of the points. Got to be really disappointing. But he felt like updates coming at Australia will show more pace. McLaren. Boy, do I hate doing this to them, but that's another F. It's another terrible day for the team. Oscar Piastri did get the better of Lando Norris, finishing 15th. Norris ran 17th. Team Papaya, they're in some trouble right now for sure. Another race with both drivers out of the points. But here's how that happened in Saudi Arabia before everybody gets all crazy. So Piastri got, Piastri got, an invo- Piastri got involved with Gasly and Norris had some wing damage. That came early on. Both had to come in to the pits a little earlier than expected. And then after that, they just weren't a factor in the points. But they were allowed to race against each other, which I thought was kind of cool towards the end. Um, I said last week, this isn't what Piastri signed up for. This isn't what Norris signed his long-term agreement for. They want to be in a competitive car, be in a competitive upper midfield car. That was the expectation. Right now, the team is a mess. And this is the second straight race. Neither one of them got in the points. And if they don't get their act together, they are not going to be part of the good upper midfield battle. And I don't know if they will be. I think this car is in some serious trouble. And I think both of these drivers are going to have a long, frustrating year. And I don't mind that with Piastri. He's a rookie, but Lando Norris deserves better. He is an up-and-coming, rising megastar, and he's in the wrong car right now. Right now. Williams. F. Frustrating day for Alex Albon, had to retire the car after brake failure and Logan Sargent finishing 16th. Tough for Albon because he felt the team was strong heading into this Grand Prix. But most of the guys, as I said earlier, they say that a lot, right? They retire the car. They go, oh, you know, it's a shame. The car was really strong today. We really thought we could get some good results. Maybe a couple of them have come out of the car going, you know what? Thank God I'm out of this crap because I don't want to be driving around this thing. It's a absolute piece of garbage. So I'm going to go back to my uh, back end over here, get myself some water and relax and chill out because I'm glad I'm not driving that thing around anymore. Most of them say they had a good car. They felt like they could do something. It's really too bad that blah, blah, blah failed. So he said those things. Now, I wasn't expecting much for Sargent. I didn't think he was getting into the points or anything, right? But um, he was the last of the rookie drivers at Jeddah, passed by DeVries and Piastri, and he finished last among the rookies. So they get an F, unfortunately. Alfa Romeo, it's a D. Botas finishing 18th. That's terrible. Zhou Guan Yu ran 13th. Botas thought he ran over some debris in the opening laps, may have suffered some floor damage, said the car was never felt good, didn't really feel great. Uh, He made three trips to pit lane. Zhou thought he had a top 10 car. This was interesting. He thought he had a top 10 car. And then during the safety car, he got caught. And then when they resumed racing, he was in a DRS train. So he said he didn't have much to make up towards uh, the fight to the front or at least close where he could maybe battle for the final point just couldn't do it after the safety car so said good things about the car but in the end couldn't pull it off Haas I gave them a B that's a solid day for Haas Hulkenberg finishing 12th Kevin Magnuson got the final point with that 10th place finish he passed Yuki Sonoda to get that point and given that Mick Schumacher 
crashed both cars in the first two years at Jeddah at some point during the weekend. I mean, really just blew the thing up. Uh, the fact that both Hulkenberg and Magnuson got the cars across the finish line in relatively decent shape is a win in and of itself for Haas because the last, the first two trips to Jeddah, we only had three of these Grand Prix. Uh, Mick Schumacher, God bless him, just completely annihilated the car. One time during the Grand Prix, I think in the first Grand Prix, he, he crashed pretty hard, and then he crashed in qualifying on Saturday last year. So good for both drivers to get the car across the finish line in one piece. I, think, I guess that's half the battle when you drive for Haas. All right, so that is it. That is our review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We are going to be back next week for a preview of the Australian Grand Prix. I'm going to be on location at the Final Four uh, for the NCAA Basketball Tournament in Houston, Texas, but I still will get that in, and then we'll follow that, obviously, with the review of the Grand Prix. All right, once again, follow me on Twitter, at Tony D Radio. Subscribe to this podcast if you like it, and please share it with your friends. Give us a five-star review. Help us grow. Uh, we really love the growth that is happening on this podcast. All right, so I will see you in two weeks when they head to Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix and all of the shenanigans that may happen in the world of Formula One. I'm Tony Vizieri. Thanks for listening. It's the Overtake F1 podcast.